I really love being one of Jesus' disciples. I mean, I wanted to love it. It was hard at times. He said some pretty confusing things. Look, have you ever felt you were on the outside? Like life was happening all around you, but you were just observing? Well, that's me. Some people call me Doubting Thomas. When I was traveling with Jesus, he often spoke in parables. So when he told us he would soon be leaving us, that he would have to die, I didn't understand what he meant. And James and John, they were so close to Jesus. I often found myself feeling on the outside. Maybe I didn't have enough faith. I just never seemed to be in the center of things when the big miracles were happening. But I'll tell you one thing I know for sure. They killed Jesus. I saw him hanging there. And I believe that because I saw that. And when they took Jesus and murdered him, I began to feel like such a fool. I spent years of my life following this man, and for what? Just to watch him die? I felt so stupid. So when they told me he had risen, that he was alive, I couldn't let myself buy into that. I've been hurt too many times before. I've been lied to, tricked. Besides, it just didn't make any sense. I watched Jesus die. No one can survive that. And the facts, they just didn't add up. Of course, the first time they said that he showed up, I wasn't there. It just seemed too good to be true. I wanted to believe, but I made a vow right then. Seeing is believing, I said. I told myself, unless I see his hands and the messy scars of the nails and put my fingers there and my hand on his side, I will not believe. It just felt like the safest way. Like I said, seeing is believing. He came to me. My Lord, my God came to me and let me touch his wounds. I still remember touching the scars and feeling the wound on his side. But before he even spoke, his look towards me was so understanding. It was like he knew exactly what I needed to believe. Oh, it was then that I understood. Thank you, God, for the second chance. to me when I doubted him. I didn't even believe in him, and Jesus came to me. Doubt. I mean, everyone deals with doubt, don't they? You know, if we don't have a measure of doubt in us, we're gullible, and our society teaches us that that would be horrible. I remember the first time I learned that I couldn't trust everything someone says. I was in junior high, and on my soccer team was a guy who, who was my friend, and I believed in him. And one day at school, he was accused of stealing something, and I defended him vehemently. I, I said, no way that this 
kid could do this kind of thing. And the situation escalated, and we end up in the principal's office. And then the next thing I know, he's confessing to the crime. I felt so hurt. And I was so disappointed in myself. How could I be so naive? And I think it was that moment that I adopted doubt as a a self-protection mechanism. And I think if we could do an autopsy on all of our psyches, you know, our mind, our will, and emotions, I think we would see that all of us, to some degree, have embraced doubt into our lives. And that's definitely not good because the problem we have is so often we ascribe doubt on the one that should never be doubted, and that one is God. Some of us doubt God's goodness. Others of us doubt his promises to us. Some of us doubt his word. But I think for, for many, we doubt even God's existence. I don't think that God's intimidated of this. And in fact, he put in scripture a story of a person named Doubting Thomas. And let's look at that. We find it in John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. It says this, now Thomas also known as Didymus, was one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. Now this is after the resurrection that this is happening. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I put my fingers where those nails were, and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Oh, this is such an amazing story. The first thing I noticed is this, Thomas wasn't with the disciples when Jesus first appeared after the resurrection. Why? Well, I want to speculate that it was out of self-protection. Jesus died, but he had told the disciples, I'm going to rise again. And so they're all in that upper room, just hoping that he was going to be true to his word. But Thomas isn't there. I I see Thomas is thinking, no, I've been hurt once. I'm not going back there. I'm not going to put my hope in that dream. And then the next thing Thomas knows is the disciples are telling him, Thomas, Jesus came back. He's alive. He appeared to us. And Thomas, the skeptic, says, I need empirical evidence. I need to see those nail scars. I need to feel that wound in the side. And then and only then am I going to believe. So then he's with him. And what happens? Jesus appears. Jesus comes into the room and he answers Thomas' question. Thomas, he holds out his hands. Put your fingers right where the nails went through. Thomas, put your hand right in the side. I love that Jesus doesn't say, Thomas, you just need blind faith. He doesn't say, Thomas, you just need to take a jump out blindly. No, instead, Jesus comes and meets Thomas in his doubt. That's amazing to me. And Jesus is doing that for people today. You might be a skeptic in this room. All the time, people are coming and sitting in churches going, 
you know, I, I'm just kind of checking this out. I don't really believe, but I just want to hear, gather the data, and then make a decision myself. And the amazing thing is, while we're doubting, Jesus comes and meets with people. Maybe it's being overwhelmed with his presence, or, or maybe it's seeing a miracle with your own eyes, or maybe it's hearing his still small voice speak to your heart even when you're not expecting it, or perhaps it's just being overcome by the undeniable love of the people of God, and you realize no one could be so kind and loving unless there's something supernatural going on in their life. I want to tell you that Jesus loves to meet doubters right where they are. He's not just doing it in biblical times, he's doing it today, and I want you to watch this story of how Jesus met one of our friends in the midst of her doubt. I was a doubter. I found no need and no desire for God. I was atheist. I would say there were times where I wondered if there could be a God, but when I did, I figured I wouldn't need him anyway because I, I really thought I was in the driver's seat. I guess I didn't think that I was the right person to believe in God because I wasn't poor and I wasn't lonely and I wasn't uneducated and I thought that's what God was for and I didn't need any of those things because I thought I knew it all I was pretty sure that when I died that was it there was nothing afterwards so I tried to live my life to the fullest that I could every day because I figured there would be nothing afterwards well despite my doubt uh, God was very faithful in pursuing my heart my entire life and I think a part of that was connecting me to a coworker um, who was a believer, who showed me the love and compassion of Jesus when she didn't have to. I knew that she was a believer. I was really nervous about it when I started working there because I thought uh, she's gonna Bible thump me all the time. I think the most awesome thing that Shelly did was invite me to church on Easter Sunday. That was 2011. So I filled out this communication card at church because I didn't know they were gonna call me. And he called and asked me where I stood with God and I said I wasn't sure. And I felt like I was at this crossroads and I was trying to figure it out. And he said, well, I'm gonna pray for you right now that God tells you that he's looking for you. And I said, okay, yeah, thanks, bye. And that was it. Uh, and over the next couple of months, I felt like God revealed himself in ways that really freaked me out, but were very specific. I went to this new age masseuse, and even she was telling me that God was looking for me. And she was freaked out, and I was freaked out because she didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what it meant, but it felt very true. I went to a life group, and I didn't really know what to expect there, but I was promised that I didn't have to participate. Uh, and they were praying for God to you know, give them encouragement or give them words. And the only image that I saw were these two hands with holes in them. When, um, but the girl that I was praying with told me the story about when Jesus is re resurrected and he goes back to his disciples and he speaks to Doubting Thomas. Uh, and earlier someone had told me that of all the disciples, I would be most like the Doubting Thomas. So New Year's Day, I went to church. It fell on a Sunday. This is 2012. And after the service, I went down to receive prayer because I just knew that that day, like I wanted to start my, my year with God. And as they were praying for me, they were just praying that, you know, I received peace in my life. And it really did feel different to receive that kind of prayer and to say the words out loud and to dedicate my life to God. It was so powerful. 
it's hard to think about where I'm at today compared to where I was before because it's something I still try to process, like I don't understand. And people that know me, they don't understand. And you know, they'll say, gosh, Jess, you know, something is different with you or something has changed with you or, you know, and they ask me, you know, what did I do or what did I change? And I don't know how to explain it because I don't understand it. I don't understand how I could be so certain that there was no God and you couldn't convince me because I'm not someone that's easily convinced. And now you can't convince me that there isn't. How does that happen? I don't know. With Jesus, I had the best days of my life. Being with him made me feel so powerful. Crowds were always gathering around us. They were, they were asking questions, looking for healing, looking for food, look, looking for hope. But I wasn't just part of Jesus' group. I got to know him personally. One day he, he called to me, he called me over, he came to me, and he, he told me that I was going to be a leader like him too. He trusted me with responsibility. He changed my name. He gave me a purpose. He told me that on my life, he was gonna build the church. I couldn't believe that. But Jesus was always letting us do the most amazing things. Sometimes, sometimes though it just felt like I couldn't measure up. He was just so perfect. I was always messing up, oftentimes saying the wrong things, being a hothead, being a blabbermouth. I just wanted to defend him. But you know you've really messed up when in front of all the other disciples, Jesus calls you Satan. <laughs> but that was Jesus, full of grace and full of truth. I was so sure of my love for him that I would never fail. I thought I was so strong. I had walked with Jesus. He had been my leader, my friend, my brother. He was the Messiah, the son of the living God. I had bragged that I would die for him. I had walked with Jesus. And I denied him. When they came that night to, to, con to take him to the court that would condemn him to death, I, I felt a range of emotions. First, I was angry. In my stupidity, I struck out and attacked a guard. But next, I was just, I was just so scared. I denied him. Not once. Not twice, but three times I denied Jesus. To peasants, to children. I acted like I didn't even know who he was. <laughs> Where was that strong Peter then? Huh? The one who was going to build the church and change the world. That Peter was nowhere to be found that night. He was just a spiritual failure. A nobody. 
Well, the next thing I felt was a deep sadness. When I heard that Jesus had been condemned to death, I knew that it had all been for nothing. What a stupid reason to get my hopes up, right? Thinking that God could do something with me. I had totally failed him. But you know what? He still came to me. The first time I saw him after the resurrection, none of that mattered. I ran to him. I embraced him. I just wanted to be with him. He called to me. He reached out to me. He he restored me. His grace found me and I learned something that even on my worst days Jesus is good that even when I am weak Jesus is strong and that even when I fail Jesus he is faithful Failure. Perhaps there's not a greater example of failure in the Bible than Peter. You know, who had been closer to Jesus? Who had walked with him longer? Who had been entrusted with more of his work and actually seen miracles? And then in a moment of pressure when the crowds are around him, Peter turns his back and denies him. He walks away. You find the story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, starting in verse 54. It says, Then seizing them, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. He denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also were one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Wow. I've wept bitterly. I've had a time where I turned my back on Jesus. I... I'm ashamed of it. I, if, any, if anyone doesn't have an excuse to walk away from Jesus, it was me. I had a great family. My parents were both Christian. They gave me a great example of what it means to follow God. And yet, I chased after worldly pleasures. And I distinctly remember one night, we just plunged headlong into the darkness Some of my friends, we had broken into an old abandoned house and just jumped right into heavy drinking and sexual immorality. And I remember coming home 
that night, very late night, I get back to my room and I was overcome with guilt and remorse. And I just fell down on my knees and I started weeping bitterly. How could I turn my back on the love and purity and light of God and embrace such darkness, so awful? And it was in the midst of that broken failure that Jesus stooped down in his mercy and his grace. And and he sent me a loving Christian that, that, that called me out and that spoke destiny over my life. And, and little by little, I started changing. And, and now as I look at my life and look back to that time of darkness, I, I can't believe what God's done. You know, Jesus is in the business of taking failures and restoring them and giving them a fresh start. He, he did it with Peter. He did it with me. And he wants to do it with you. Are you sitting in this room today and maybe you're a a Christian. But you know that you've walked away. You know that you've broken God's heart. You know that you've spat on his grace. And you're going a different direction. But today you're sitting there and you're convicted. And you're remorseful. I want to tell you today is a great day to be restored and taken from failure to a clean start. Or maybe your story is different. Maybe you're just lost today. Lost. I I don't know if you've been physically lost before. I remember one experience where I was with my family and we had driven far out into the wilderness in the mountains and we were going on a big hike in a place we had never been and we kind of got lost, uh, lost track of time and the sun started setting and and we were already a little on edge because we had seen a big bear right off the trail. And as it got darker, we were having a really hard time staying on the trail. And all of a sudden, we find it night. And the wolves start howling. And I can tell you in that moment, we got really worried. I pulled out a knife. It was a little pocket knife about this big. And I'm walking, trying to guard us. At that moment, this anxiety overcomes you, and all you can think about is, I need someone to rescue me. I need someone to come and find me. It's a horrible feeling. Well, perhaps you've never been physically lost, but you know today that you're lost. You you feel it emotionally. You know it spiritually. You're you're going, "I, I, I don't feel like I'm connected with God. I want to tell you that God is in the business of seeking and saving that which is lost. The Bible says that Jesus didn't come for the healthy, but he came for the sick. He didn't just do it in the Bible times. He's doing it today, and I want you to watch this story of one of my friends of what transpired in his life when he was lost. I was lost. I was born in Guadalajara, Mexico. 
We migrated here a while later when I was eight and nine. I was growing up in my teenage years and I began to look up to the people that were dealing drugs, the people that were gambling. I got initiated into a gang. And so once you're initiated and you're jumped in, uh, you become a family. Well, making money and selling drugs, slanging, slanging dope, it's really, it's a big part of what a gang is. So I, started, I started using marijuana um, when I was 15 or 16 years old. I got into alcohol maybe four times, probably tried to cocaine. I did get locked up. I was 14 when this happened. We were having problems with this other other uh, rival gang member and so um, there was a fight that broke out and there were bats involved and all of that and there were charges pressed against us. I was lost and I was empty lost and empty and broken and very, very, I felt very dark inside. But it wasn't until I turned 20 that I hit a really low place in my life. And I cried out to God and I said, God, if you're real, Jesus, if you're real, come and change my life, turn me into a new man. I don't wanna live this life anymore. Soon after I cried out to God, this man named Joel Sanders moved across the street from me a few weeks later, uh, they knocked on my door and shared the love of Jesus with me and gave me an invitation to go to All People's Church. And I rejected and I said no because there was fear in me still. Uh, I didn't want to sacrifice the things that I had. Um, and so I kept walking in my life and doing drugs still and drinking alcohol. After six months, I came to church for the first time in my life. Being at church the first time uh, made me feel awkward, weird. <laughs> Yeah, I had a pretty, pretty powerful encounter with God that day. So after going to church the following day, Joel invited me into his home because he wanted to hear my story. He gave me an invitation to see if I wanted to accept the Lord Jesus into my heart, but I rejected and I said no. That same day, I went out and I drank. That night when I came home, I've, I remember what Joel had asked, told me about Jesus Christ and I got on my knees and I rose my hands to the to the sky and I cried out to Jesus and I said Lord if you're real Jesus if you're real like Joel was saying please come into my life and change me at that moment I repented of my sin and I accepted Jesus into my heart when he came into my heart I felt a love that I've never felt before I felt just life and hope and I felt comforted by a heavenly father and God just totally changed my life. I now have a love for people that I've never had before. I have a peace and I walk in His presence and I can feel His love every day and every second that I am, that I'm walking this life. And I'm very thankful that the Lord Jesus decided to die for my sins because I don't deserve what I have now. So perhaps you've come this morning feeling lost. Maybe you feel trapped in discouragement, despair, or depression. Maybe it's some kind of bondage, some kind of addiction that's holding you down. Maybe it's some financial pit that you found yourself in that you just can't escape. Maybe it's a broken relationship that just you can't seem to mend. Or maybe it's an area of your life that you just hate. You're a slave to anger or rage or or lust, and you just can't seem to get set free. You know, one of the lies that we so often believe is that in order to come to God, we have to clean ourselves up first. And the Bible shows us something very different, that while we're sinners, 
Jesus comes to us. You know, one of Jesus' closest followers was a woman named Mary Magdalene. She had a very broken life, and in the midst of her brokenness, the enemy took advantage of that and made her a slave, made her a captive. But we see that Jesus came to her when she was in her worst place. that had been done to my body or my soul. Out in public, the religious leaders would scoff at me. Women, women would hide their children's eyes. Men abused me, their cheap thrills stealing and crushing pieces of my heart. Whenever, whenever I would out to the streets it was like the crowds looked right through me simultaneously burning with judgment and desire I felt naked and vulnerable every single time I went to the marketplace the hungry stares and compassionless words told me my worth. Nothing. I was worth nothing. <laughs> that must be why it felt so different when Jesus looked at me on that day. He came to me and things immediately became clear. like a fog was lifting off my mind, like light was entering me. It 
must have been the very first time that when someone looked at me, they saw me. In his eyes, I was clean. In his eyes, I was clothed with dignity and purity. Can you believe it? Me, pure. He didn't want anything from me. And for the very first time, I felt free. I felt valued. Jesus took my worthless life and he made it something. He took my dirty life and he made it cleaner than it had ever been. Jesus made me totally new. <laughs> he is alive. He is alive. And because he lives, we can live. No, Thomas the doubter, Peter the failure, Mary the lost, Jessica the doubter, Robert the failure, Christian the lost. You know, our stories are all different, as diverse as the snowflakes that fall in a winter storm, no two are the same. But we all share something in common, and that is that we are separated from God. You can be seated. You know, and the Bible says this, that our sin separates us from God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible also goes on to say that the wages of sin is death. We all deserve to die and spend eternity separated from God in hell. But you know, our loving Father doesn't want that for any of us. And that's why he sent Jesus. The Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. You know, Jesus came to the earth and he demonstrated perfectly the Father's love. He drew the little children near. He gave dignity to the poor. He loved and accepted the sinner. He healed the sick. He even raised the dead. But then he was tried in an unjust trial. And he was tortured for a crime that he didn't commit. And then he was nailed to the cross, an excruciatingly painful death, being executed wrongly. But when he died on the cross, the Bible says this, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we could die to sin. The reason that Jesus died on the cross was to pay for your sins. When Jesus died on the cross, he took your place and he took the penalty that you deserve to pay. And when his blood was shed, it has the ability to cleanse us from our dirtiness. But you see, Jesus' death is meaningless if you don't receive it yourself. Jesus didn't stay dead. He was placed in the tomb, but on the third day, on Easter, he rose again, defeating the power of sin and death. And he lives forever, and he returned to the earth, and he gave his Holy Spirit to those that would choose him and those that choose him when they receive the holy spirit are made spiritually alive 
their sins are forgiven, their relationship is reestablished with God. And the Bible says this, that when those die, they don't spend eternity in hell. Instead, they go to heaven where there's no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sickness. They spend eternity in heaven with God himself. My question for you today has, is have you received that gift? Have you accepted Jesus' death on a cross? He's the only way to the Father. He says, I'm the way, the, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It's not through your good deeds. It's not through the family that you were born into. It's not because you live in America. It's not because your good deeds can outweigh your bad deeds. It's simply through the death and resurrection of Jesus that we can be saved. Have you accepted Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior? Would you just stand up with me now? That's the question we all have to answer. The question is, has Jesus come into your life? Are your sins forgiven? Will you spend eternity with him when you die? Would you just pray with me right now? Would you just close your eyes and bow your head? And would you ask yourself this simple question? Do I know that I know that my sins are forgiven? Do I know that I know that my relationship with God is restored? Am I 100% sure that when I die that I'll go to heaven? And maybe for some in this room, you're like me or you're like Peter. That you say, you know, I made that decision a long time ago, but I've walked far away from that. I've turned my back on Jesus. I haven't been following him. I've been on my own path. But today, I need to, that to change. Today, I'm committing to being with Jesus. I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to fellowship with him. I'm going his way. If that's you today. If you need to commit your life to Jesus, if you need to ask him to come into your heart, I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. You can just say these words right after me if you need to ask Jesus to come into your life. Just say this, just say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead. I open my heart to you. Place your Holy Spirit inside of me. And I'll follow you forever. And if you're praying that prayer today, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, we just want to pray for you right now. If you're praying that prayer and saying, today, I don't know about yesterday, but today I'm accepting Jesus. I'm following him all over this room. Would you just lift your hands now? Just lift your hands and just say, today, I'm following Jesus. Just raise your hand right now. Awesome. Who else? Awesome. 